obviously, like everyone else, was introduced to the uh, America's Frontline Doctors through social media. I actually am going to ask you first just a brief question when you get up here, Doc, uh, about that. But uh, Dr. Lee Merritt served nine years as a Navy physician and a surgeon before entering private practice. She has been in private practice of orthopedic and spinal surgery since 1995. She is the only woman to be appointed as the Louis A. Goldstein Fellow of Spinal Surgery. She has served on the board of the Arizona Medical Association, is past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, and was elected to life membership in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. Please give a warm welcome to our special guest, Dr. Lee Merritt. It's so good to have you. Good to have you. You're there. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Before we get started, I asked the first question. Dan, I failed to pray. Imagine, we got two pastors here. I failed to open our windows. Doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> Would you please open us in voice of yeah. prayer for our congregation? I'd just like to add that uh, the church finally started to grow when I got here. <laughs> 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 hey, we're so glad to have you guys tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we just want to tell you, Lord, that we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, God, that not only do you redeem us, but you give us the opportunity to redeem the time and to laugh and enjoy ourselves. Lord, we live in a difficult time. We live in a confusing time. And uh, maybe, Lord, uh, we were born for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. So, God, help us to uh, be wide awake at the wheel here. Your church has not been over the last 30 to 50 years, and it has allowed what we now are experiencing. But, Lord, there are people waking up all over the country, and I thank you for these people who are here tonight. And I pray, God, that you will work through them, work through all of us. Lord, we thank you for people like Dr. Merritt, who is... Stepping out and speaking the difficult, inconvenient truth. And so, Father, help us to walk away from here uh, more informed and maybe uh, better armed to be able to deal with all of the lies that we're surrounded by. Lord, we're losing our republic. We're losing our liberties, more importantly. And it is time that we stand up and say, no, no farther. And so we pray that you'll bless what we do here tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Lee, I know that most of us were introduced to you by social media. We saw the video of the White House standing out in front of the uh, uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Just briefly, tell us the background. How did all that come about? How did you all meet? And what was the background of the America's Frontline Doctors? Well, uh, you know, Simone Gold was a, uh, an emergency room physician. And I didn't know her at this time. She was out at Kaiser Permanente in California. And this is when this whole thing started breaking out. I know, I'm not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. down just a little bit. Yeah, I'm not very good at this thing. Yeah, let me help you. Okay. You just keep yeah. talking. Yeah, I actually work. am a surgeon. If I just you can't don't figure mind. out this. <laughs> okay. This doesn't work well with I don't hands, work well with that. Yeah, I don't work well with my hands. Um, but anyway, so... As this thing, whole thing with COVID was breaking out, you know, before we ever heard Trump say the word hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, that, oh, there we go. Okay. 
but but people all over the doctors all over the world were talking among themselves. And there is a lot of literature going way back that says that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine work. That other countries use it. So the Chinese started using it. The Indians started using it. We heard about it. And when it started coming across America, one of, actually one of the one of the really good friends of mine from uh, America's Frontline Doctors, Brian Tyson, he his daughter had a um, a, a band or a music mentor. She was very big in music, and he was down in New York City, and he was calling to El Central California, where the with the Tysons live, and saying he was sick with this disease, and what should he do? And so Dr. Tyson's trying to help him and trying to help him, and it turns out he gets sicker and sicker, and Brian can't get the hydroxychloroquine to him. He knows he's getting bad treatment. The hospital literally turned him away when he was so sick. He ended up dying. And it was a real tragedy for the for the Tyson family too. And so Brian decided, hey, we got to do something about this. So all over the world, for stories like this, doctors did what they should have done. They learned how to treat this. They figured out what was going on. Now, now to tell you how it works, I mean, Dr. Tyson, he has his own urgent care. He had screened twenty thousand people. He had treated two thousand. He had no deaths, and he had one minor hospitalization. While they were dying in New York City. Sorry about that. I don't know. That's no, it's okay. I have little ears or something. My delicate ears. So anyway, that that so uh, Dr. Gold had heard about this, and so she too was trying hydroxychloroquine in the emergency room at Kaiser Permanente, and she got thumped for it. And ultimately, she said, "Wait a minute. What are you telling me that I can't go to that one? Can you, you mind holding that? Just yeah. There you go. Just throw that behind. Yeah, there you go. Get rid of that. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm better. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, and so she, she realized that this worked, and she argued with the big guys at Kaiser, and they said, well, you can argue all you want to, but you're not welcome to practice here anymore. So, <laughs> so she got that, that's, that was the beginning of cancel culture over this thing. So she went off on her own, and she said, I'm not going to do this. I mean, I think she's really a hero in all this. And she, she never was against vaccines. She never was worried about vaccines. She really was not thinking about the politics of medicine. She was just a practicing doctor. And she decided she's going to do something. And then she set up the America's Frontline Doctors. So, and it started small. They just decided to get a bunch of people in white coats, and that was the first summit. By the time I went out, the second summit, and the only reason I got involved is I went down to protest in my city about the mask mandate. Mm-hmm. And I, um, one, day, one day I was driving home from my little clinic in a hospital in Iowa, and I thought, oh, I wanted to listen to a video and I listened to a, a, an audible podcast or something when I was going home and I turned on my phone and I start hearing myself talk and I'm thinking, <laughs> how could this be me? And it was on Alex Jones. It was on InfoWars. Oh, wow. What I said at the city council meeting of Omaha ended up being sped back to me from the InfoWars. It was the front thing. Well, she saw it apparently and invited me to come out and give the mask talk because I'm, I'm the queen oh. of mask deniers now. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's my role in life. <laughs> but the, but that's what the, the America's Frontline Doctors basically stand for transparency, that we should be speaking the truth about treatment, and that you should have the option of having your doctor and you make the decision. Not We knew this was coming, by the way. I'm also the past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. They're the, they've been speaking against this since 1943. We uh, knew that government medicine is not necessarily good medicine. Yeah. And what happens is when you have a government health care system, now it's exactly what we predicted. You know, sure. Instead of me and you just working out what we're going to do for right. your treatment, we have this third invisible party, invisible yeah. party of the government bureaucrat yeah. in a way. And that's what's happened exactly here.
And they're really easy to work with and yeah, yeah, they're are looking out for our best friendly. interest all the time. Right. Okay, so, so let me ask you. Let, let's start with the obvious. Tell us what COVID is. Is it natural? Is it man-made? No. I know we've heard a lot. But help us, help us okay. understand, is this like all other viruses that we face? So help us get a look, handle on that. Yeah, and I looked into this a lot. So basically COVID is a virus that, or not COVID, coronavirus is a virus that's been in nature forever. Right. The most it gave people was a runny nose. I mean, it was a very nothing burger virus. I look back in my old text from the 1970s from medical school, and they didn't even do studies on this virus because it really wasn't making anybody sick. But for some reason, this virus is, and this is above my level of genetic understanding, but it's a darling of the geneticists. So when we have entered into the age of uh, being able to cut and splice genomes, this virus is specifically interesting to them for reasons I don't understand. Well, what has happened is we've had three now real outbreaks of disease that were coronavirus-type diseases. I don't know about the other two. I don't know if they were natural. Maybe we're not looking far enough back. But the first one in 2004 was SARS that affected China. Then the second one was MERS that was Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. That affected the Middle East. And this one now is COVID, and it's from a coronavirus. But I'm going to tell you. The way this gets into you, it gets it doesn't just stop at the nose. It has a part of the spike protein in the head of the virus that can get into your lungs to get your um, your heart, your fat cells, uh, testicles. It does it go, brain. It goes everywhere. It can go anywhere there are ACE2 pathways. It hooks into human ACE2 pathways. And I will just tell you, anybody that's telling you this evolved out of nature is lying because there are five cardinal things we look at, and they're it takes a while to go through, but they basically, if you look for these things, you can tell whether it came from nature or it was man-made. Mm-hmm. And this is clearly man-made. So anything you it's, this is like when they asked, when we went over to ask the WHO to investigate, and they went to China and said, did you guys make this? And, and they said, no, of course we didn't. That's kind of like, you know, um, you know we found, it, the, found the money, the bank robber. No, I didn't rob the bank. It was just on the ground outside. Yeah. So I, the investigation part of this was pretty sketch. But I can tell you, when you listen to real virologists that know what they're talking about and they tell you what we look for, there is no way. Even my friend's college biology teacher in Omaha said, there is just no way this came out of nature. Yeah. So, how, how is this different than other cold and flus that we've been familiar with for every year? Well, I think the unique part is this attachment to the ACE2 pathway, which allows it to do some bad actor stuff to your lungs and to other parts of your body. And so, um, but mostly... It, it seems to kick up excessive inflammation. So if you look at the total all, if you look around the world, how many people, what was our mortality last in 2020 from COVID? It wasn't that much worse than flu. In, in the 2020, you had a 99.991% chance of survival for the, for the season, right? We always have a viral death season. The year before that, you had a 99.992% chance of survival from influenza and the other viruses. And it was the same the year before that. So the, if you look at the global numbers, it's about the same. The issue is that they ta- that COVID seems to affect a little different population. It's not just age-related. I mean, I know a 101-year-old man that got through COVID, no problem. Um, but you see young people that occasionally go down with this. And it turns out that there are some risk factors that are kind of unique. One is type A blood. I don't know why, but there's a genetic predisposition for this. Type A blood seems to be a problem. Obesity is a big problem because fat cells have extra ACE2 pathways. 
Um, just having asthma and things, even though we hear about all these lung problems, like being an asthmatic doesn't seem to hurt you. In other words, there are things, diabetic by itself doesn't seem to hurt. It's a, you're a little bit more sick, so you're, you know, but you take that right. into consideration. It's really um, being, as your immune system, though, goes down, you just can't fight it off as well. So yeah. age is always a risk factor. Obesity, type A. Well, one last thing about that. I've heard some physicians talk about how it causes your Im- immune system to overheat. It's, it's kind of like it, it runs out of control. Yeah, it seems to be overdrive. So that's one of the things that we treat it with. It's a little different. We do use steroids or, okay, early. Right. And that's one of the reasons. So the big, the, big, the big three prescription things that we use besides hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and, and, and steroids of some sort. But ivermectin also is an anti-inflammatory. It right. has weird anti-inflammatory effects. It's really a good drug. Yeah. That's what's saving people now in the ICU when, when we're allowed to use it. But they won't talk about it. Well, they won't talk about it. Yeah, yeah of course not. No. We have uh, updates every day. In fact, for a while, it was just nonstop on the news. Uh, I think right now in America, what is it, 500, uh, 545,000 attributed deaths to COVID or something along those right. lines? Is that about right? Uh, how accurate is that? Well, if you're, if, as a doctor, what, do you, what, is your, what is your guess on that? How accurate are those, are those numbers? Well, again, you know, they can fudge the things by, you know, we've all heard the story of the motorcyclist that tested positive for COVID, so he died mm-hmm. of COVID. So, unfortunately, we don't really know. You can't hang your hat on the COVID death numbers. That's why I just look at all-cause mortality. When you really compare it to all-cause mortality and you look at the world mortality, it's not that much different. It's just hitting a little bit, a little bit different group of people. But, but the, the real issue you have to also ask yourself is where's the safest place to be and where's the least safe place to be? What's the yeah. difference? Yeah. This is what I said earlier today, and I think this is an important point. I trained in New York and all the fancy hospitals and all the fancy doctors, that was the worst place in the world for mortality <laughs> I could find during the outbreak of COVID. From January to August, when I gave a talk in Las Vegas about this, it was a 0.17% mortality in New York State. Now, that's still not terrible. You still have a 99.83 you know, chance yeah. of survival. But it was the worst in the world by orders of magnitude. So where was the best place to be? Not the place you would expect. It was the old playground of Idi Amin, Uganda, okay? (laughs) 0.00003% mortality. In other words, you were 10,000 times safer in Uganda than you were in New York. And why was that? The answer is, in in Uganda, they are free enough to walk down to their corner store and get hydroxychloroquine over the counter. And that's a sad comment on our liberty, you know? Yeah, I think that, and and I actually had an opportunity to talk to somebody uh, from the governor's office today, and I said, you know, you could be a hero. Governors have the authority to make something over the counter. Yeah, and we've done yeah. it. You know, uh, they used they made naltrexone over the counter. It's to get people off drugs. That's an over the counter drug. You have to you have to ask the pharmacist for it, but it's an over the counter. You don't need a prescription, and they yeah. could do that with this. Okay, so talking about death numbers. A few months ago, in fact, it was probably six months ago, Dr. Burks, uh, the lady that Rush was always fond of calling the scarf queen, she, <laughs> she admitted that the government numbers were 25% inflated on the deaths. I mean, she actually admitted right. that in a press conference. So having served in government, I know that probably means 40 yeah, to 45%. Percent. <laughs> I mean, do you think that that – I realize I think you that's, can't no, know I think specifically, a, but – I think that – well – First of all, let's say if, if they – when you look at the 545,000, if that's true, keep in mind, 
If we look at the 78% death reduction in all the countries that used hydroxychloroquine, <laughs> even if it's a real number, we could have reduced it by 250,000 sure. by failing to treat yeah. appropriately. Okay, so, yeah. But I do think it's, it's inflated because, yeah. you know, let, let's face it, when you, when you um, economically support something, you get more of it. So when they paid the hospitals yeah, of more course. To, to, put, to put it on the death certificate, you're going to get yeah. more COVID. The other issue here is, and you've heard about the PCR and all this cycle amplification, it's a real simple thing, and, and really, you knew this was going on early. There were 13 hospitals or 13 labs in Florida when they started the PCR testing that had 100% positive tests. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay? And let me just point out that when they talk about case numbers, they get everybody all scared. Oh, the cases are going up. Do not listen to case numbers. Case numbers mean nothing. You just need to know how many people are sick and how many people are yes. dying. That, that's what we always used to count. To say a case is a sick person is like saying, if I swab your skin and I culture out staph, which is a germ everybody has on their skin, you have a staph infection. That's nonsense. Nobody in medicine would ever have done that before. Cases were always a sick person. Now a case is just a number that has to do with a falsely positive test. And even early on, I mean, this was, I'm going to say, last summer, about about July, um, Dr. Mike Yaden, who was the senior science advisor from Pfizer, he said he thought at that time the tests were 90% false positive. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I just I think there's a lot of inflation. Sure. What is the story? I hate to go there again because you're probably tired of it. Tell us about masks. What, is, what do masks do? <laughs> Since I'm the what queen of masks. Do they work? Uh, do they stop viruses? Just Go ahead. You you can begin. <laughs> well, okay. So let's just start by saying there are really kind of three basic types of masks. Some of which, by the way, I've never seen in a hospital up until this time. You know, <laughs> I lived in a mask for forty years. So the classic mask is a surgical mask, and I have a PowerPoint talk where I show a picture of that, and that's what you see. You know, if you ever watched Ben Case or these old uh, hospital shows, that's the one you tie up here and you tie there. But here's the funny thing: we never thought. Before this, nobody ever thought these had anything to do with stopping viruses. And here's one of the things they teach you in medical school, which shows you how ridiculous it is to even think they could stop a 0.1 micron virus, okay? So what you do is when you're a third-year medical student, you're not independent. All you're doing is holding the retractor for some famous surgeon, and you can't move, right? He's doing the surgery, but you've got to hold still. And now you have to sneeze. What do you do? I mean, there are all these kind of protocols they teach you you don't think about when you're not in medicine. You have to, what are you going to do when you have to sneeze? Well, your reaction is you want to lean like this. You want to lean away from the wound, you know. But they tell you, no, 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 don't do that. You look straight ahead, and you just lean back, and you sneeze right into your mask because it blows out the sides of your masks, and you don't want to turn like this and blow onto the yeah. operating table. Yeah. That's how, how, how sealant these masks are, you know. Now, and that's one of the better masks. Now, the, 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 most, the most significant mask we wear, and I've only had to wear it a few times in my life, and it's very... Constrictive. I hated it. But if you're working with somebody that might have tuberculosis, we used to call them TB masks. We never called them N95 masks. That sounds so sciencey, but really they were designed for one thing, and that was for TB, tuberculosis, which is a big globular organism that this really does screen out. And it probably works against Ebola. Ebola is a virus, but it's a big, long virus that's not airborne. So yeah. it doesn't mean that masks don't work. So that, the problem with those, those masks are they're not meant to be worn for long, long periods of time. And now we have, we have people wearing them for long periods of time. And what happens is it builds up CO2 behind the masks. 
Now, we know that when you build up CO2, bad things happen, including you stimulate the microglia in the brain that are, that are one of the pathways to dementia. So we are telling these nurses, you have to work in the ICU. You have to wear these N95 masks for eight hours a day. My dentist the other day had one on. I'm actually going to write him a letter and tell him maybe he should think about just, just putting on a Twinkie mask. I tell yeah. people, if you have to wear a mask, what you want to do is wear the most worthless mask you can find. <laughs> and that seems to be, which again, I've never seen these in a hospital before. They're those little paper masks that have the loop on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're nothing. They don't do anything. You know, so, and that's, and now I have to tell you, so I think was it Judy, it was Judy Mikovits. Judy Mikovits told me the story. So she, she has an issue, and so she just can't tolerate any mask. So she had, she has all the scientific uh, people, and she made a mask. She had the maker a mask. You can get these offline somewhere. And it's actually a silver impregnated mask. It looks like a mask, but it's very loosely woven. But it's several layers. It's silver. It actually might do something. And she was thrown off an airplane for wearing that mask. <laughs> you know, so, no, masks have never been shown to stop the, the spread of small particle viruses. And even if they did, they could not work like we're using them. I mean, just think of the nonsense yeah, here. Of course. You know, you walk into yeah. every, I said, I said the other night, every bartender in every restaurant knows this is nonsense. You walk into a restaurant, right, and you're dangerous for the first six feet, so you have to wear the mask. But as soon as you sit down... You're you safe. Spread it. You're safe. You can't spread it. You take the mask off, but you yeah. put your dirty mask that's gotten all these. And the cloth masks, by the way, are the worst. The cloth masks just they they save all that bacterial junk all day long, and you're touching it with your hands. Then you go to the restaurant. You put it on the table. You put your phone on it. You touch all the food. You touch everybody. Yeah. And you're and yeah. that's supposed to be a contagion control. And then if you want to go up and wash your hands, you would have to put the mask on so you could walk by three or four tables of people with no mask on to get to the restaurant. <laughs> I mean, this is, there is nobody, I know Dr. Fauci does not believe this. Nobody that has any basic science above, you know, third grade can believe this is actually controlling anything. It's there to control you. Actually, it is controlling you. Yeah, because Paul and I are not smart as third graders, and we know. And you know. (laughs) So, So, okay, so why? So why? I think you just said it. Why the mask then? Why go all out and make everybody wear a mask? I know, and I've thought about this a lot because the other day, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of attacks on me personally because I spoke out against masks. And, you have, and at first I'm saying, oh, no, they must mean somebody else. So I'm just talking about masks. You know, my, my video <laughs> was banned. I'm on, I, in fact, I still am on InfoWars. I'm one of the, on, he's got the most banned video thing. And somehow wow. I ended up as number, I was number one for a lot of time. Why? Well, I had McGill University wrote an article the other day. And they have a bunch of PhDs in this department. And they wrote an article that said, walk away from America's frontline doctors. But the subsetting, the subheading was, Lee Merritt might be a good orthopedic surgeon, but she doesn't know about the science of masks. <laughs> now, I could argue that with them, that I've actually spent most of this last year studying the science of masks. But the answer, the real question you have to ask yourself, and when you get to the motive question here, just ask yourself, why would big, fancy McGill University, with all its fancy doctors, come after a small-town Midwest doctor just for saying, I don't think masks work and that they're harmful, Okay. You have to say, and, and, and I was in the Navy, I spent a lot of time with Marine Air, and I learned that when you're catching flack, you're over the target. Yes. And I've modified that because orthopedic surgeons, we always modify things. You know, <laughs> the first time you do a case, then you modify it. Yeah, okay. If you're really good, you modify it before you ever do the case. <laughs> the, when you're catching a lot of flack, you're over a really, really important target that they do not want taken down. Now, ask yourself why masks are that. And the answer, in my opinion, is because masks are a symbol. 
These are not about controlling viruses. They're a symbol to control you. And if you don't think symbols are important, I learned this story, and I, I knew the story before, but I was reminded by a Ph.D. at Princeton who said, who gave this at a dinner talk. Remember the Manchu Q, the Chinese that came over here to work the railroads. They had that long braid down there back in the 1800s. That was not their hairstyle. They were Han Chinese, the Han of the majority Chinese today. But they were conquered by the Manchu. And the emperor said all Han men must wear their hair in this braid or they will be killed. It was a capital punishment not to wear the symbol of Manchu dominance. Now, what are we experiencing today? That's exactly it. In fact, they would actually come over to America and kill Chinese. They would, they would take them out if they were not wearing the Manchu Q because they, they knew that they were the minority. This is another point that's like today. The controllers are the smaller number of people. They have this huge body of Manchu people and a small no- or a huge body of Han and a small number of Manchu. So they made all the man, they made, they made this a, a, it's like a slave mask. Mm. You know, so, and I will say other, the other point here is that if you, it, even the New England Journal of Medicine admits this is, a, this is an occult symbol of, it's a talisman. The New England Journal of Medicine said, well, it may not really stop the virus, but it makes, it's, it's kind of felt like a, tal- they, they use the term talisman, that it's a talisman that makes our healthcare people feel safer. You know, it's. Okay, so who is the they? Who's the they? Who's the they? Because you're saying that's they doing that control. Well, in your opinion, right, right. In my opinion, I mean, if you want to, it's, it depends on your worldview. But I tell this story, and I think somewhere in there, now on the mask thing, maybe it's lower level. But I will just tell you that there was a study done in 2011. They looked at all the corporations in the world. There were over 37 million corporations in the world, and they plugged them into a supercomputer. And Gladfelter is the guy's name that did the study. In the supercomputer, spit. they wanted to know what are the commonalities. Who owns those 37-plus million corporations? And it boiled down to 147 corporate entities that owned all those millions of corporations. And then Forbes took those 147, they looked at them, and they came down to 10 banking institutions. Uh. And somebody else looked at that, and they said, actually, when you understand the way these big funds work, there are four big financial funds that own those 10. And those are controlled by 150 men. Women may not apparently apply. 150 (laughs) men essentially control 60 to 70% of the world's wealth. I think if we're going to look at the bad guys here, somewhere they're up there. You know, at a lower level, who's going to, the other thing you do in any crime is, you know, qui bono, who benefits? Well, we know right away that the pharmaceutical companies have already made billions on this. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you can go and you can look at things like, you know, Bill Gates, before this all broke out in August of 2019, his guys met with Bobby Rush from um, Illinois. He's a Democrat congressman from Illinois in um, Zimbabwe. Right. You know, and that's my favorite, you know, spot to go meet somebody, Zimbabwe. <laughs> but anyway, they go over there, and it turns out that they negotiated a contract for the tracking and tracing for this disease in August of last year. I mean, there's a lot of that to go around. So there's the big billionaires club and the big pharmaceutical club are owned by the big billionaires club. So mm-hmm. somewhere in there, there's some string pullers. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's Tony Fauci. Tony Fauci has a different role in all this. He's a bag man. He's what the mafia would call the bag man. Yeah. Unbeknownst to us, he had $800 plus billion of money that went across his desk for allocation. And it went out to all the universities and it controlled the medical system in this country. And he's got a long 
he's got a Rolodex, a phone, and he can he can pull that money back at any time if you don't do and say what he says to do. So that's yeah. really he is the he is the guy that's kind of at the center of all this, which is why I don't think Trump could get rid of him. I think they're going to guard that. He's like masked. They're going to guard Fauci and they're going to guard the mask till their bitter end here. Wow. And one of the reasons is if you take off the mask, if all of us, I'm glad to see mm-hmm. we don't know, people go walking around, they suddenly realize, hey, nobody's wearing a mask and nobody's getting sick. I'll take off mine. The whole, this whole lie crumbles if we all quit wearing a mask. That's exactly right. That's why it's so important. Exactly right. yeah. We want to spend some time on the vaccine. We'll get there in just a moment. By the way, we reopened. We, we, were, we protect our congregation. And when this thing first happened... We wanted to make sure that we were protecting our people. So when the president asked us to close for two weeks, we did. Uh, he and the governor asked us to extend it for two weeks, we did. As we were watching the numbers and looking at the numbers ourselves, we thought, well, don't really see anything that's that alarming. Let's go ahead and reopen and let our people self-govern. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. If you want to wear a coat, you wear a coat. If you want to brush your teeth, brush your teeth. If you don't, stay home. But... <laughs> But we've been operating normally. You notice tonight we had a meal on Wednesday night. We have donuts and coffee on Sunday morning. This has been no different year. I haven't done any more funerals this year than any other year for the same age group people, those 80 and over. I've got news for you. Once you hit 80, you know, the Bible says four score and 10 uh, or three score and 10 or perhaps four score. Guess what? At that point in time, we're, we're bordering on overtime. You know, that's typically when this life ends. My mom is 97, so who knows? But the reality is there's been nothing unusual about this year than any other year. But we want to get back to vaccine. We want to get to vaccines yeah. here in a moment. Yeah. Two real quick rapid-fire questions just to cover them as we go past. Six-foot social distancing. Does it do any good or not? <laughs> yeah. That, the minute that number came out, I said, that is a made-up number. Science doesn't come out with numbers like that. And it doesn't do – it does nothing. Again – it does about as much as those plastic screens then at the gas yeah, stations. all the way around. Right. And this is supposed to screen in a 0.1 micron virus, but I have a $5 bill that I can reach right yeah. through the hole. Yep, you know. <coughs> and then give it to them. Yeah, give it to yeah. them. I mean, it's just nonsense. But it is kind of sad to see. I mean, the six foot, by the way, the six foot distancing was, was put to shame by uh, Dr. Lydia Baruba at, at MIT. And she's a, a real physicist, and she has high-speed cameras, and she filmed people. I have a lecture where I show this video where it's just breathing, and these little particles go 20 – she measured 27 and a half feet easily. So, but that, it, the whole thing is not about me breathing on you directly. The whole thing is the way that we spread viruses in the winter. And this is – you know, it's good to know how it really works. They've created a false reality for you to, to think that we have to spit on each other to get each other sick. That's not the way it works. The way it works is if I'm symptomatic, which I'm not symptomatic, so we're not spreading anything. But if I'm symptomatic and I breathe, tiny little virion particles come out. They are so small you cannot see them. This idea of droplets that they've falsely talked about, there are droplets, but that's those one. Those really, that's the, what a virologist calls two virions, two RNA things stuck together. It is super microscopic. It floats around, bounces off the walls. And if there's low humidity, it stays up in the air a long time. Why do we get sick in the winter? Because the humidity is very low. We're all grouped together. We never get yeah, fresh air. We don't get vitamin D out in the sun. And right. our, we're, we're all low to begin with if you don't take a supplement. And then you get even lower in the winter. That's what's happening. Well, I had a nurse say, Dan, you could get it in your eye. Yeah, oh, COVID, not all viruses, but right, this one. But COVID. And they said that to But we've us got it all just right here. Yeah, yeah. Our <laughs> eyes are, so we need to be wearing right. goggles. Yeah, you'd really. I'm, I'm thinking those deep uh, water bell 
helmets, <laughs> that, you know, that you just divers and... Well, you know, somebody sent me one of those little memes, and it was a picture of a guy at, like you, Samrit, or, or one of the bioweapons labs. And the, actually, I have a picture of the, the people looking at this coronavirus. And what are they wearing? They're wearing this total containment suit. Yeah. And it's, it's, it it, oh, yeah, it's more than it has. It's well, got, yeah, it's but got it looks like. oxygen supply, everything. But they're going to convince you a bandana works just as well. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, right. That's what, what, what about, now, biblically, the Bible talks about if someone is sick or you know, leprosy, quarantine the sick. But what about the idea of quarantining healthy people? Yeah, it's never been done before. We have never done this. Yeah. The closest we ever came in the pandemic of 1918, and especially in, in, in the Midwest, when it came across the Midwest and we were very agricultural, the one thing they said to do is don't go to church on Sunday mm-hmm. because that was the time that it was being spread. And so they had figured that out, that if you, if you are on the farm, you better just stay there for a while. There is a time, and I will just tell you this, here's the time you know when you should take to your basement. And I told this years ago to my sons, I said, because they're dispersed across the country, I said, if you ever hear that smallpox breaks out, smallpox is the most deadly transmissible virus known to mankind. This one might be more transmissible, but it's not very deadly. Yeah. Smallpox, especially the stuff we have in bioweapons labs, like what's left over from the Soviet Union, is 60% deadly, like 6-0, not wow. 0.6. Okay? Yeah. So it can kill a lot of people very quickly. So it will spread like wildfire. And the only way you can protect yourself from something like that is actual isolation. That means you don't get near anybody and you, you go to ground for a while. That's what, and in smallpox, that didn't make sense. But it doesn't make sense for really anything else. It's, you don't, yeah. if you're sick, one of the things we, on the other side of it is, how many of us have gone to work sick thinking we're just indispensable? The real story here is we should probably stay home because yeah. you are maybe passing your virus to somebody that's not going to survive it. And that we never really considered that, but we should now. That's, we've learned a lot of really good lessons from this. Um, and that's one of them, I so think. So if you have symptoms, stay home. If you have symptoms, stay home. Flu, if, cold, whatever. If you have symptoms, wearing a mask won't help protect other people from you. It really will not. You might see that you're catching. They want you to think it works because you can see all this goobers you catch in the mask. <laughs> that's a technical medical term. But you cannot culture the stuff out of those. That's not, and, and those big lumps don't fly about and get into somebody's lung. Yeah. You know? Well, when it's cold outside... People's breath goes right through it because you can still see it because right. it's cold outside and the breath is warm, so you can see that it's going right through the mask. Well, and even the N95 masks that are supposed to screen down to 0.3 microns, when you actually put people in special testing and they they cough or sneeze, they blow small particles through those too. So well, of we, course, short of the short of the total containment suit, you can't stop viruses. Yeah. Most important thing, I think, that everybody, on everybody's mind, we've witnessed the damage to the country this last year. We've witnessed how this was used conveniently to manipulate the results of an election. But now the question is the vaccine. Uh, first of all, SARS-1, no vaccine. SARS-2, within a year we have a vaccine. Tell us what the difference between SARS-1 and SARS-2 is. And then tell us, is this a vaccine? What is this mRNA? What is the difference between this and a vaccine uh, anyway? Right. And I... And you know, we always use the term vaccine because it's easy to say, but really, this is an experimental, unapproved genetic agent of some sort. Yeah, that's right. And it's an unknown genetic agent because nobody except at the very top of this, uh, the, the research arm, really knows what's in it. When it's, an ex- when it's been rushed through like this on an emergency use authorization, there's no chance for independent oversight, independent analysis. Like Judy Mikovits said the other day, will somebody please assay this thing? 
you know, we don't know what's in it. Your doctor doesn't know what's in it. So right. when anybody gives you advice about it, keep in mind they don't know what's in it and they don't know really how it works. We know in theory how it works. Now, they tried to make, they tried to use RNA technology, and I will tell you the reason, the, the ostensible reason is to save money. The, the idea is you make a platform. They call this a platform like it's a computer program platform, and it really is in a way because they're programming a piece of RNA to give you this weird antibody response. And they think if they can make it work for this, then they can make it work for this and this and this, and they'll, they won't have to grow any pathogens, and they'll have a really cheap way to get 7.8 billion people to take their vaccine stuff every year. That's what they think. There may be more to it than that. But, but the bottom line is this is not like any old vaccine. The old vaccines, they grew, a, they grew the germ in, a, in an egg or whatever, and they then made, it, made the germ weaker somehow. That's called attenuation. We make it so it doesn't make you sick, whether we're talking about you know, polio or diphtheria or yeah. anything. And then they give you a very small amount of that. Your body recognizes it and says, oh, that's something new. That's not me. I should mount a response to this. And it puts it in your memory system. You have an immune memory. So the next time you actually get exposed to it, like smallpox, which worked very well, you, you know, the next time small, if smallpox came around, you really wouldn't it. get the disease because right. your army of white cells is ready to go. It knows what it is. It says, that's smallpox. Call in the troops. Boom. You're done. You don't get sick. That's not what this is. What this is is they, this, the, the, the part of the coronavirus that's deadly that makes you sick is called the spike protein. They've created this mRNA that is creating the spike protein in your cells. And then they're expecting your immune system to come out and recognize it and do what I just said. Unfortunately, if you're elderly, now keep in mind the spike protein has not been attenuated. It's full strength, and it didn't come in through your nose. You've got no warning. So you get a sudden blast of a number, who knows how many million or billion, of these spike proteins all through your body deeply in you with no chance it's like this is like the airborne attack behind enemy lines with millions of troops i mean this is really a surprise attack on your immune system so you don't have a chance to respond and this is why elderly people are dying from this okay they're not they're they're if you don't have a great immune system you just shouldn't think about this in my opinion so the second thing this has been doing, I mean, the idea of this thing is now you will be immunized against it. And the, a vaccine is supposed to stop transmission. This does not do that. This is crazy. This is not a vaccine because it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. Now, the other thing they say is, oh, well, but it's 95 percent. You hear the number 95 percent. That's made up just like the six feet. Okay. <laughs> Um, the 95% perfection, you know, that was in ABC News before we even had it rolled out. It's 95% successful. In Israel, 95%. We just heard 95%. It's not. The, the actual, when, when, when other people have asked their, or looked at their numbers, it's less than 30% successful at even diminishing the symptoms. That's from the, not from me, that's from the British Medical Journal, Dr. Doshi, who does this for a living. He said their numbers are not showing what they're saying. Now, here's the real test that's been going on in Israel. Israel is kind of like a pe- I mean, it's like a test for this because it's all Pfizer vaccine. It's one vaccine. They're trying to push everybody to have it. And what they're finding is at a time when they only had, in mid-February, they'd been doing it for two months. They started very early, earlier than we did. At the two-month point, they'd had 12.5% of their uh, people vaccinated. But 51% of the people dead of COVID that were dying of COVID had had the vaccine. Now, if it were even across the board, it should be 12.5 in both groups, the ones that don't die and the ones that die. 
The other thing they looked at is in the elderly above 65, if you took the, the Pfizer vaccine and then you had a 40 times increased risk of dying of COVID. These were done by independent analysts, not involved with the government or the Pfizer. If you were under 29, I think it was 29 or 39, you had a 260 times more likely to die of COVID if you'd taken the vaccine. Oh, so that's great. this is not good. I mean, there's, it doesn't give you if you look at the risk-benefit analysis, it's really hard to suggest that this is is worth it. Yeah. Just on, even if you believe it works, the benefit is not that great for the risk. Now, there's some really other bad things happening. If you remember in the news a while back, there was a doctor in Florida. He's a 56-year-old OBGYN doctor. He takes the vaccine. He's in perfect health, and his wife now is speaking out. So she's she's happy that we're talking about this. That he took this vaccine because he was convinced it was the right thing to do, and and he. Four days later, showed up and he had zero platelets. So he had had he, he had lost all of the cells in his body that stopped bleeding. Okay. Oh wow. Now we don't see that. Let me tell you that that's not the disease we call ITP or idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. We have a disease where you lose your platelets, but they get down to maybe thirty thousand, twenty thousand, and you don't die right away. We we can treat you. We can give you platelet transfusions. We can try and figure out if there's a drug causing it. Many times we can get it to come back. This is not that. This guy dropped to zero. He's a surgeon in his own hospital. He had a team of doctors working on him. He was dead in twelve days of a brain hemorrhage. Wow. So. Okay, that was one case. Now, what I did was I started, I, we heard then there were 36 more cases of that. When you start hearing that, this is when you, the, the vac, vaccine adverse reporting system is supposed to pick up unusual things. But what I kept saying is, why is nobody looking at this? This is an unusual thing, but their, their response is it's not related to the vaccine. They determined, they decided he wasn't, and they're trying to say it's yeah. not. So I have been, for AFLDS, I've been pulling all the vaccine data, the VAERS data, for anything that has to do with bleeding. And here's what I'm finding. And this is unpublished data, as they say. People are getting the vaccine, and within a day to four days, they're showing up with a hemorrhage in their brain. It's, and, and that's not being, a, you know, these are the ones that are reported that people recognize the vaccine may have played a role. How many people, you know, the 72-year-old who... Is it you know gets a stroke and they say well seventy two year olds get strokes and they don't think that they may have asked anybody did she have the vaccine or he have the vaccine so this is a big deal the reason I believe it's true and I'm seeing bleeding of all sorts into the brain but the reason you, you believe it's true is you're also seeing other bleeding and unusual stuff I mean younger people with GI bleeds that never had GI bleeds before vaginal bleeding. Um, bleeding from old wounds, like I had a boil on that healed years ago, and now it's, it just started bleeding after I took the vaccine. Mm. Nosebleeds you can't stop. One of the most tragic ones was a one-year-old baby with an uncontrollable nosebleed after the vaccination. You know, now babies don't die of this. Why are we vaccinating them? Right. That, you know, mm -hmm. that's another story. But that's what's happening. So there's a bleeding problem with this. Um, we also had a doctor uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, an orthopedic surgeon, 37 years old, took the vaccine dead four days later because he developed this immune enhancement. Now, let me just point out, when we tried this vaccine technology, this kind of mRNA te technology years ago, on cats, after so cats, when, when SARS came out, they tried to get a, a thing going. It wouldn't work because what happened is the cats died. This was not a sudden, a, a subtle endpoint. The cats die of immune enhancement. So what they gave the vaccine to the cats, and the cats did okay, but then when they challenged the cat with the virus it's supposed to protect them against, 
the, this stylized antibody response, it didn't kill the virus. It didn't really neutralize it. What it did, it coated the virus in such a way now it, it was hidden from the cat's body. It came in like a Trojan horse, just grew exponentially and killed the cat with sepsis and cardiac failure. Wow. And that happened to the cats generally. They could not get it out of animal testing. Then MERS came along and they tried it again. This time they tried it in ferrets. This time it really killed them through lung pathology, but it was the same kind of inflammatory lung pathology, kind of like we're seeing in COVID. They've never got it out of animal testing. So keep in mind that when you take this, this is never passed through long-term animal testing. Yeah. We are the next, we are the guinea pigs here. Okay, so I'm talking to a member of our church today. And his father took the vaccine about two weeks ago, and they found him dead in his easy chair. Yeah. And now he's beginning to hear stories of other people, other people that within a few days to a couple of weeks, they're just dying. And they don't really know why, because it's not this bleeding kind of thing. They just die. So do you think that is probably vaccine or this is not well vaccine, i'm going to tell you it's that. too suspicious and you don't know that's not bleeding because you don't know if he didn't have a brain bleed while i was course. sitting in his chair yeah. you know we don't do pathology on these people we yeah. should be doing some but we're not it's costly sure. so we don't run the pathology on elderly people that die at home and that's what's happening yeah. so yes i think that is an issue and i think we're seeing like i say they had to shut down they stopped the vaccination program in a bunch of senior citizens homes in in madrid spain in norway um, in Cayuga Falls, New York, they had that whole, they, nobody had died of COVID. Nobody even gotten COVID. They vaccinated <laughs> people and they had all these deaths. So it is happening. And yeah. I think that I saw a patient. This is the other thing we see in flu vaccine that is the biggest payout in the, um, the, the, the fund that the government has for vaccine injury is neurologic problems. And particularly Guillain-Barre, which is, which is ascending paralysis. Now, in my last few weeks in my orthopedic life, I was asked to see a woman who was in her early 70s. She was home alone, independent. She was, her, she was complaining to her daughter that she had leg weakness. And the daughter, it gets worse and worse, so she can't stay at home. And she comes in, her daughter finally brings her into the hospital, and now she's had symptoms for about two weeks, and she just can't get along. My partner, my, my colleague, not my partner, my colleague is a general surgeon, goes to see her, and she's very weak in her legs, and she's complaining of back pain. So she's talking. Let me just point that. To complain of back pain means she was yeah. awake and talking to him. She asked me if I'd go see her. So I went the next morning when I got to the hospital, and I got, went in to see her. By the time I saw her the next morning, she was not talking. She could not open her eyes. Uh-huh. I knew she was there. She could try. She was trying, but she couldn't get her eyes open. I said, can you smile for me? And she'd try, but she could not really open her mouth very much. And so I called him, and I said, this has been a huge neural. She's had a huge neurologic insult of some sort and she is not there she can't i she can't move anything just out of curiosity did she have the covid vaccine he said i don't know she he went back asked the daughter she'd had the covid vaccine a week before this started now this is this is kind of a classic injury that we see with flu vaccine so this was and this is called the locked in syndrome when it's yeah. complete paralysis now, okay, it's one case, but then my next job, after I've now I've pulled the bleeding and I've seen all this bleeding and the miscarriages and all this kind of things, I'm now going to pull the neurologic things, and I think I'm going to see the same kind of principles, yeah. uh, you know, that this is a neurologic problem. So, this, you're, you're, you know, anybody that has this should report it to VAERS, and this is a sad thing. The vaccine reporting system is totally voluntary. They've made it very difficult for doctors with the electronic medical systems to report. But you can report, and you should do it and put in as clear a story as you can 
if this happens, if you have a relative or anybody you know. Because as soon as we can identify something really that we can hang our hat on, we might be able to stop this. Well, well let's just do a little study. In, in this audience here, pretty good-sized group, how many of you either have a family member or a friend or someone you know of who took the vaccine and then died in a week or two or had severe issues? Just raise your hand. Just Let's just do a little study here. That's just interesting. In this just group. in this group. Now, look at the, raise them high so we can see all the hands. Don't embarrass. We're not, now, look at this, doctor. Wow. That is really impressive. What is that, 400 people here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I will tell you, when I told my friend, my general surgeon friend, who's been in practice about as long as me, I said, you should report this to VAERS. He said to me, what is VAERS? Mm -hmm. This is the problem, okay? So I urge you to report things to the It's easy to do on on CDC.gov, believe it or not. But... But it's a but it's a problem, and and even if some things are fallacious, sure. we'll sort that out. Sure. We just need the data. Yeah, yeah. And and the issue, you know, people in here might be old enough to remember thalidomide. But any time a bad drug comes out, the thalidomide caused all these birth defects where you have your hands attached to your shoulders and stuff. But because a drug comes out, it causes a problem. The problems are so rare that at first, because it's just getting started, that you can't tell the pattern. And the VAERS gives us an opportunity to bypass that. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, Bruce, just stay seated. If we could have our ushers, we're going to take up the voluntary offering here in just a moment. And while we're taking it up, we're going to go ahead and ask a couple more questions. And then we're going to ask a, a few of your questions, and then we'll wrap up the evening. But if we could have our ushers uh, come forward, please. And the question I want you to answer in just a moment, uh, if you would, Lee, is, okay, part of our audience here has had the vaccine or knows someone that has the vaccine. Uh, most, or at least half, probably has not had the vaccine. What would be your best advice to everyone here, whether you've had the vaccine or not? What's the best thing to do to try to defend your body right. from the liability of this uh, SARS-2? Be- before you answer that, do you want them to put their questions in the offering yes, plate now? Yes, drop their questions in the offering. When this offering plate comes by, Drop your questions or your support in the offering plate. We will quickly get the questions up here. We'll draw a few of those questions out, and we'll be dismissed on time. So thank you for that. Okay. Okay. Can we have our ushers, please? What did he ask? Uh, I don't know. What did he ask you? It didn't make uh, any what sense is the to be- me. What is the best Oh, what does somebody do? Someone has had it or you Someone has had the vaccine or someone has not had it. What is the best thing for Dan, me, any of us right. do to defend ourselves from this uh, illness? Go ahead and begin well, taking it up, guys. We don't, we've already... Okay, so let me just talk by saying what everybody should do because th- we're not out of this. I think we're in a bio war of a weird kind, and they can release another agent yes. even worse than this. So let's just talk about how to improve your immune system, which is what you have to do whether you took the vaccine or not, because the vaccine's not really going to protect you as well as your immune system. So make your immune system as, as solid as you can. The number one thing they found, if you take vitamin D and you get your levels up above 30, you have a very low risk of going to the ICU or dying. But it, it cannot do it in the sunlight. Unless you live on the equator in a loincloth and don't shower, you cannot get your vitamin D up. Um, and so you have to take a supplement. Now, if you, you need at least 5,000. If you're an adult or a good-sized kid, you need a 5,000 unit a day to get, the sup, to get the level up. You'd like to get the anti-cancer level of 55 or 60 above above those levels because it actually you know they never tell you this either right if you're if you're if you get your level up above 55 you decrease your risk of breast cancer by 85 percent when the national cancer society ever mentioned that but anyway so vitamin d is critical the other thing is 50 percent of people dead with covid have a low zinc 
And you can find all these levels. I actually have a, a handout, and I'll get it to these guys. I'll get it to the pastors that, that go through the numbers. You don't really have to take notes, but you should be on vitamin D, at least 5,000. I take 10,000 international units a day. And then zinc. Um, another one is selenium. Selenium is like birth control for viruses. Um, and what's the other thing? Oh, uh, vitamin C is a good one to take, but if you're, you know, and you need to take it several times a day. It works better. It's like the ammunition for your white cell army. If you're sick, you should take four to five grams or more a day in divided doses, like 500, just get a 500 chewable and take every hour or so. You won't get diarrhea that way. Um, the other one is quercetin. Quercetin is a big anti-inflammatory. Um, and then one, oh, and, um. I'm, le- I'm leaving out some. Vitamin C, D, zinc, quercetin. Oh, N-acetylcysteine. That's a new one. That, 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 the, the, there's, the, I know that this is probably going to be an important one because the FDA is trying to shut it down. It's been <laughs> around for years. It's a big intracellular anti-inflammatory. And the other one that just came out is lysine. Lysine is cheap. Yeah. That might be my end on this list. That may be number two. In the Dominican Republic, there were virologists that showed just recently that they kept their staff from getting COVID by increasing lysine. And it has to do with the lysine arginine gotcha. uh, thing. So then the, last, then the other thing is live an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, which means I'd go gluten-free. Wheat is a bad actor. It produces inflammation in everything, including the brain. So it's a good idea to quit eating wheat. The world needs to wake up to what wheat has been doing to us. The second thing is eat natural oils. We had a talk earlier about the history of Crisco and that we were sold in bill of goods about what fats are good and what are bad. It turns out if God made it, you're okay. If man made it, as Jack LaLanne used to say, don't eat it. <laughs> Makes sense. So Crisco, um, canola oil, safflower oil, soybean oil, this whole thing, don't eat those. You eat lard is okay, actually. This is unbelievable, but lard Good. is not the problem. Good. Yeah. And uh, coconut you oil. You stop talking now. <laughs> Those, I want McDonald's to go back and make the, you know, they were, they were really good French fries when they were made in lard. They're just yeah, really terrible. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and then coconut butter is really good for your brain. It's good for a lot of things. So there's natural oils. And um, if you do that, now the other thing I think, if you can do it, I would get a hold of some ivermectin and I'd get a hold of some hydroxychloroquine and I would have it at home. Yeah, and this is ask. probably important for everybody because, like I say, I don't think we're out of it and I don't think you can always get to a doctor fast enough. You want to be treated within five days of symptoms if you come down with something bad. And it, I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if you take a test. I tell people, don't go take a test. Tell me your symptoms. If you're really sick with a viral illness, this is what we're going to do. We learned this. This is the good yeah. news. If it's, we don't care if it's flu or this or the next generation. And that's what's going to come. So we're not out of the viral, um, you know, just like when we entered the nuclear age. We didn't live in a bomb shelter. We have to have a way yeah. of living with the viral age and take it head on. And it's not in masks living in our basement. We have to have treatment and prevention. Now, if you've taken the vaccine, what I would say is I'd be just I'd do all the things I just said, but I wouldn't go anywhere without some ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. I'm talking about on a cruise or vacation or something in my pocket because the issue would pro- is the issue I'm worried about. If you make it through the, the first couple stages of, of mortality, like this has a tw- 5 to 20% increased risk of anaphylaxis. That's why you have to take these vaccines in a place that, has, that can resuscitate you. Yeah. So that's the first stage. But if, you, you're, if you're okay, you've had the vaccine or the so-called genetic agent, and it's, you know, you're a couple months down, well, the first thing, we're going to pray that this stuff goes away. 
I yeah. really want this stuff not to last long in the system and go away and we come out of this. That's what I really want. I think we should all pray for that. But the second thing is what you do is you keep, you keep it in mind that you took it, and if you get sick, you don't want to go down like the cats. So you want to treat yourself early. Yeah. And there are treatment protocols online. You can go to the, American, uh, the Association of American Physicians. I'll give him all the resources. And you can get all this stuff, and you can have all okay. the protocols so you know what to do. Unfortunately, I'd like to save my own profession of medicine from their kind of immoral stance here because we're letting people die by ignoring the truth. Yeah. But you might not be able to get to somebody. I think there are probably some very fine physicians in Oklahoma that can take care of you, and I hope you find some. And that would be good to talk to friends if you know anybody. But in the meantime, stock up on this stuff, get the protocols, keep it at home, know how to do it. Quick quick question. Yeah. If you've had COVID, you're pre- yeah. whether you were tested or not, pretty sure you had COVID. Do you need the vaccine? You are good to go. Okay. Okay. And let, they, they, they've only thought there might be. There's That's what 30, I thought. There were only like 34 cases in the world they thought might be. So if you're one of these poor schlamatzels, it's one of those you're, <laughs> if a 34 in a 7 billion people chance, then maybe you should not, then maybe you should worry. But yeah. I think we're pretty okay, good. Okay, good. Got a question here. Uh, goes wrong what you're talking about. Where would you go to get hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin? Okay. Well, um, you can get on the AFLDS.org. It's the American Frontline Doctors website. They have a doctor that consults you. You have to pay a little bit for that. And get and you can get the, the chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine there. And I think ivermectin, too. Otherwise, you can get online. There are Russian pharmacies. There are Mexican pharmacies. I used to live on the Mexican border. Probably Ugandan pharmacies. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> there are lots of places around the world that have this. And I would just say that I didn't... Um, I mean, I've lived on the Mexican border for 25 years doing surgery. I never saw a problem from the medicines across the border. And we saw you guys all the time. We called you snowbirds. 200,000 would come down every winter to go buy pharmaceuticals, so they paid for their winter trip. So I'm telling you, it's a big money down there. And usually when you get it, it's blister packed from the same company you get it up here. Or if it's not, I've just never heard of a problem. And ivermectin is also a veterinarian medicine. Right. Now, I will say this. Got to be careful. Yeah, not, the not horse that I weight. would ever. I would, yeah, about the horse weight. I, they, apparently, they dose horses a little differently, and I'm not. This don't construe this as official medical advice. This is my disclaimer. But my, but if you happen to have some of that, and that's all you had, I have noticed that a uh, somebody about my size would need the dose for a 125 pound horse. Right, that's, that's, right. That's the way you do yeah, it. I got you. <laughs> okay, you, yeah, you may want to eat a lot of hay afterwards, yeah, but yeah. other than that, you're fine. And when the protocols are online. <laughs> I've been told that there is a list of local doctors that will prescribe these on the website IgniteLiberty.net. Oh, nice. IgniteLiberty.net has a list of local doctors. Also, if you are one of those that raised your hand a while ago that you have a family member or know of someone that had an adverse effect after the vaccine, the number to report those, uh, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, is 800-822-7967. 800-822-7967. Or you can go online. Or you can go online. online. What about nursing mothers who have gotten the vax? Well, there have been some issues there that I've heard about. Now, we've seen a couple babies with rashes, these overall generalized um, exanthem, which we call them, just a huge body rash. And so... I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying not to nurse. Um, we've also heard through the grapevine kind of on social media in Israel where all this stuff is going down, it was reported that when the mother got the vaccine during pregnancy, the baby wouldn't nurse from her. They would nurse from the bottle but wouldn't nurse from her. 
which is kind of a little creepy. But yeah. but um, that that is also and I might actually in here. My friend's granddaughter had that happen, so wow. that the baby wouldn't nurse. But so I don't know. I mean, it, interesting question here. Should unvaccinated people be concerned about being around those who are vaccinated? Can they shed the virus? Are you? No. Okay. No. Okay. In fact, it's the other way around. What we're worried about are the unvaccinated people, or did are you talking about the unvaccinated being at risk from the vaccinated? Yeah. 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 I guess what? No, I don't. Well. The jury's out. Let me just say, we don't know for sure. I don't know how that could happen because you're not, you're just getting the spike protein. You're not getting all the, the, the virus. So, you know, maybe, but I, I don't, we haven't seen it so far. Um, I thought it was, you know, I, I was going to make a joke about knowing CPR, but I thought, no, the, the real <laughs> issue here is that um, I don't think it's going to be a risk to you. And the other thing I was asked, and I asked this of Judy Mikovits. How about sex? That was an issue. Can, if someone, one of the couples, had, if the if the man has had the vaccine or woman has had the vaccine, the other couple, she doesn't think that's a problem either. Okay. But we don't know for sure. Paul, I don't know what to say after that. I'll yeah, right, I know, but unfortunately, that, people ask that question. Okay. <laughs> well, I have a question about sex. No, <laughs> it's not about that. Uh, okay, I want to ask. Okay, most of us in this room have done, a, done enough research. <laughs> That we kind of know some of this stuff that you're saying. Now, we may not know all the technical medical terms. Um, you know that the big dogs, not just in government, but in all the medical organizations, you know they know all of this. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then, we kind of hit on it a while ago, but I'd like to explore this a little bit more here toward the end. Why is it then that with something with such a low rate of death, are they pushing a vaccine so hard? Right. What do you think that is? I mean, you know, the, the issue is, well, I'd like to, so I thought about money. So one, so the first thing that comes to mind is it's just money, right? And I had a, a, a pilot friend that, that um, does EMT stuff. And he, we were talking about this. And he said, you know, if it's just about money, because this vaccine doesn't seem to work very well anyway, why not make a cheaper kind of placebo and pass it off on the public? And, 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 and make your money and it'd be a lot yeah. and not cause any problems and you could do it again. And then we're probably doing that with some vaccines now. And that's a very good point. If this were all about money, they would not have gone to the dollars input right. and the potential threat of liability. It, that's not, that can't be an answer. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, this doesn't represent anybody except me, it doesn't represent the American frontline doctors. I think we're in a war that's an unconventional, multidimensional war. We're being attacked on our economic front, our political front, our religious front, shutting down churches, uh, our cultural front. Um, I think there's even a cybersecurity front. There's also, I think, some kinetic war going on. So bad things are happening around us, and this is part of it. And this is primarily a psychological war to get us to be passive and compliant while they do things. Now, yeah. you know, we're, this is being run at the most level. Of, the level above us is being run by medical technocrats. These are people that right. we used to trust. We thought they knew what they were doing because they're well-educated people. But technocrat comes from the Greek word techna, which means your skill. And, and Kratos was the Greek god of divine power. So essentially a technocrat, he exercises raw power over you because of his proprietary knowledge. It's like being run by a, a, a bookie, you know. How do bookies make money? They know the horse is lame, but they don't tell you. And then they get your money. 
And this is essentially this differential knowledge and action. You know there's no big... If you look at the people that are dead of COVID, let's just look at this. The people around the world, I tried to find any big shots dead of COVID. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you they're very, very few. It's a pyramid of death. My, I have on the screen the blue pyramid of death. And at the top, I could only find three or four people. There was one, like... Central African vice president and two uh, women on the mullahs council in Iran, none of whose names I knew or recognized. These are not the big players that go to the G7. These are the red shirts, right? This is the Star Trek thing. Yeah. <laughs> Where else, but not one federal United States employee, senior employee or federal government um, uh, politician, anybody died of COVID. Except now, we've had a few Republicans, you notice, they're a little later, but, but nobody, nobody in, and, and the only three uh, big, big guys that got even sick with COVID, who were they? They were Boris Johnson, Bolsonaro, and Trump. You see a pattern? I hate to say this, but we've got to say it like it is. No, yeah. So I think we're, this is part of the warfare, and... I'm not, you know, and I, I'm not trusting these guys. The pharmaceutical, there's a lot to be said about the pharmaceutical companies, and they are the descendants of IG Farben. IG Farben funded Hitler, and after World War II, the paperclip project, which this is a bunch of disinformation you get. We went across the pond, and after World War II, we picked up all these Nazi scientists, and we make it sound. You always see the picture. The only one you see when you look up Project Paperclip is Werner von Braun. He sits there like this, and he, you know, and he's the big NASA rocket guy. So it makes it sound like Paperclip was all about scarfing up the rocket scientists. But you know what they went into in Germany? Yeah. They, they looked for chemists and specifically vaccine chemists. There were 24 chemists in IG Farben that went to prison for crimes against humanity, okay? Mass murder and crimes against humanity. They served seven years, they got out, and they went to work for our pharmaceutical industries, okay? So this is the, this is, and, and I'm going to tell you one last story, and then I'll be quiet, but this is important to understand who you're dealing with because people that take their vaccines and their drugs, you're taking it on faith that they know what they're doing and they're acting in your own right. self-interest or they're your own, you're in your best interest, I, that was a Freudian slip. So what happened, though, but I, I learned this years ago when I was doing some research for the Navy uh, Research Advisory Committee. We, we, people that went to the Gulf War, some of them came back with Gulf War syndrome. And after we, it took a while to track down what it was, but we had to do it because we discovered that they were dying. Some of them were dying of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, at four times the background rate of everybody else. And when they finally ran it to ground, and one of my friends was in on this research, it turned out to be the squalene, which was used as an adjuvant in, the, in one batch of the anthrax vaccine. Now, this vaccine was pushed through under emergency use authorization, yeah. just like this. No time. we got to rush, rush, rush. No time to have second thoughts. Well, a lot of guys suffered from that. And people at the time went around and they said, don't, you know, we cannot have this squalene in our vaccines. So the, the head of the CDC at that time said, oh, you're not going to have the squalene. We don't have it in any American vaccine. She went off to be the head of the vaccine unit at Merck. And a few years ago, they put squalene in the flu ad, the flu vaccine. Okay? This is the flu vaccine they mandated that nurses take in the hospital and EMTs. And you may have been thinking it was a good thing to take. So you got squalene. And now it's in other vaccines, and it's not labeled as squalene. It's labeled as MF-59. So it doesn't look like anything you recognize. And I'm just going to ask you, what kind of psychopaths would do that? Yeah. 
Are they really, are you telling me the entire vaccine research industry that looks at this, the entire regulatory body of the FDA, the CDC, Tony Fauci, everybody up there does not know the story of squaling? Yeah. No. Okay? This is who we're dealing with. So that's about as clear as the motive I can make. But I don't think it's just about money. I think we have people that have really, if you watch Bill Gates and his TED Talk on, on you know, reducing to zero, it's called yeah. or something like that. It's talking yeah. about getting our CO2 emissions to zero. That's insane also. You know, plants star- are starving at the CO2 That's we have exactly now. Right. We're in the lowest CO2 in the history. You know, it's probably be better off at, you know, 800. But the, but the problem is that they're using that as an excuse because they say there are too many of us and they want to be able to decide how many people should be alive and who they're going to be. Yeah. And I can't help but think this is related. And that's, you can call me what I was uh, a conspiracy no, theorist. I, I don't care because at this point I think we need to start speaking truth to evil. There's something really bad going on here, and it's not being done for our best interest. Yeah. 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 I hate to, I hate to say that. No. No, that's why I am. I'm going to ask one last question here, and then, Dan, if you would wrap us up for the evening. But I have always wondered, before I ask the question, I was always amazed that, that uh, Bill Gates was on record back in the early 2000s talking about how the population of planet Earth was beyond what is ideal for sustainable Earth, and that the population actually needed to be reduced from some 8 billion to under 1 billion. Okay, so that's his position on population. But then he's also the man that's the driving force behind all these vaccines, third world countries and globally, and the savior of the world with this coronavirus. My question is, that's not for you, but just a question, how do you justify both those positions? Either we need to reduce the population by 7 billion people, or we want to prolong everybody's life to a ripe old age. I can understand a person having one position or the other, but how can you carry both at the same time? Now, that's just my question to ask you to ponder as you go home tonight. But let me ask you this final question as we wrap it up. By the way, have you enjoyed the evening? Amen. You've got, we've got live stream audience. We have a lot of uh, viewers after the fact, and a lot of people that are here tonight will go back and watch this and share it with their friends. If you were able to sit down across the desk from uh, Governor Stitt or uh, Governor DeSantis or Governor Abbott or any governor in the United States of America, as a medical professional, just your opinion, as a doctor, not speaking for all of medicine, but your opinion as a doctor, what advice would you give to that governor for the well-being of the people of his state? Well, I guess there are a couple things I would say. Number one, I don't think that the that the government should be in the role of limiting medical treatment, even if it's done through a medical board. I would, I, and I would not, I think I would disband a lot of health departments because the problem is you have, you have a lot of politicians are putting into a tough situation where they're being given advice by departments that are in the pay of the pharmaceutical industry somehow. And you have to stop doing that. We can't do that. And then the last thing I guess I would say is there's nothing you cannot, there's no freedom you can't legislate away on the basis of safety. That their job is not making us safe. We can make ourselves safe. Just give us the freedom to do that. What about... 
Oklahoma and the issue of hydroxychloroquine. There was a report that the state of Oklahoma was sending back a significant right. amount of hydroxychloroquine. What would your advice be to Governor Stitt or any of these governors on that subject? Yeah, don't do it. You save yeah. the save the stash, sell it or give it to pharmaceutical companies, I mean pharmacies, and, and bake it over the counter. He has the power to do that. And I'm going to tell you the other thing I would say. If he doesn't do that, if he actually did destroy it or got rid of it or sent it away, ignored this problem, and this and another virus comes out, and we really need that to save lives, how's he going to look? Yeah. I think there's yeah. a political Try. reality he needs to understand here. And Try. I would, now that we know he's got it, let's do the right thing with it. That's what I'd plead with him. Amen. Thank and he you. could be the leader of all the governors. Like DeSantis is Try. the leader of opening. Let's That's have right. Hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Well, let me close by saying this. Both scripture and history teach us that we live on a battlefield. That's where we are. Now, the, the, the modern American church, and those of you who attend Fairview have heard me say this. The modern American church acts like we're living on a playground. And they see the old ship of Zion as kind of a cruise ship. But the Bible pictures it as a battleship. And I think what, what Dr. Merritt has, has simply helped us to better understand is that we're in a fight here. And the fight is between light and darkness. The, light is, uh, the fight is between truth and error. This just happens to be one of the areas in the medical field where they're lying to us with propaganda. They're ignoring what most of us kind of suspected or knew on our own, and then we hear some uh, uh, professional like Dr. Merrick tell us, and we say, wow, we, we really were right. We may not have known all the terms, but we were right because common sense told us. So here's what I'd say to all of us. Whether you're a believer or not, we need to start living like soldiers Amen. and start acting like we're on a battlefield instead of a playground. Churches need to wake up. Pastors need to grow a spine and start addressing all of these issues from a biblical perspective. The reason why the church is such a sitting duck is because our leaders are just as dumbed down as these technocrats who are just putting out the same babble that they even know isn't true. So I would say to you, wherever you attend church, Challenge your church to begin to address issues like this. To have people like Dr. Merritt into their churches. And if your leadership won't, then we will. Come here. Find a church that will step up and speak about these things and challenge us to act like soldiers on a battleground and to live like that. The reason we're in the mess we're in is because we're not acting like soldiers. And I'm telling you, you walk out onto a battlefield and you think you're on a vacation, you are now a casualty. And that's where we are. And I think what we've seen tonight is just a little example of that. So that's my challenge to you. Live that way. Don't believe all this nonsense. Trust what God gave you in your gut and in your heart. And we'll be far better off. Far better off. Have you enjoyed the evening? Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming. Come back and see us. Make sure and follow us online. Come to our continuing education event. And Dr. Merritt has been gracious enough. She is going to be down here and shake hands with anybody who wants to visit with her after Good. the service. God bless you and drive safely. Good night.